get started. Um, I'll go ahead and, and say the opening prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we're grateful for all of our many blessings and grateful for the opportunity that we have to study Isaiah tonight as a book club. We're grateful for the, the efforts that Avraham has put into his uh, commentaries and, um, and materials that we can glean from and, and better understand this prophet. We're so grateful for continuing revelation for a prophet that leads and guides us today and for the, the Holy Spirit that enlightens our minds and um, uh, brings us the gift of discernment that we may uh, better understand the, the things that, that are presented to us. We're so grateful for all of our many blessings and, and for this opportunity uh, of study. And we, we say these things in the name of thy son, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> all right. Um, where's my head? <laughs> um, first off, I, I sent... Uh, around the link to, to those two videos. If anybody um, hasn't got that link, let me know and I will email that over to you. Um, but I find that those two videos by the Bible Project outline really well the history of Isaiah, what happens kind of chapter by chapter and uh, really uh, leads in to, to good insights when we can understand the context. So, um, those are just going to be kind of in your, your own time. I find myself watching those things at, at least once a week, trying to kind of reorient myself and, and um, really kind of get into Isaiah. So I have a few different slides to kind of um, piece together this, this beginning part of the bifid structure that, that we're going to be talking about. Let me pull those up really quick. Where did you send the videos? Um, I think I sent those on the Remind app, if I'm not mistaken, but I need to start sending them on email as well as Remind because... I'm not on um, Remind. Uh, yeah, so I, and I find a few people aren't. So um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'll, let me put that in the chat right now so then have those videos. Okay, I was gonna, I was, I was like, did I miss something? So I wasn't... Yeah. Exactly. That's why I, I need to ask each each time so I can uh, make sure that I, I'm not, because I send it out, but then I, I don't kind of think about it a lot of times. I, <laughs> I'm making sure that I, I get everybody taken care of. Okay, so this is the video and I can, I'll also email that out to everyone. Um, but the Bible Project is just an amazing project. I believe that he comes from like a Methodist background. Um, and so there, there's obviously different kind of interpretations on things, but the Bible Project is to better help the people understand the Bible. And, and so his, his timeline is great. And also the, the book that they put out has like a different kind of like infographic kind of thing about each book and all of the different chapters in each book. And so uh, the one on Isaiah is very helpful, but it's all in the YouTube video. Um, but if you did want that print copy, you can buy that. Um, what was I doing? Sharing this different structure. Okay, so we are studying Isaiah through the, the Bifid structure which is the seven part structure that the Avraham talks about in Isaiah Decoded that we just got done studying. 
And so it's this great chiasm, the great literary structure of Isaiah. He, he incorporates lots of literary structures, but the, the bifid is kind of like the main one that we're going to be studying and using this time. So this chiasm starts off with ruin and rebirth, and uh, we'll go through this overarching um, chiasm that, that culminates its apex is there in humiliation and exaltation, which is basically the, the ladder to heaven. And so we have the first half of Isaiah and the second half of Isaiah that are uh, kind of opposite ends of the, the chiasm here. And that's why our chapters are kind of broken up weird the way that they are. So we are going to be studying uh, this week, chapters 1 through 5 and 34 through 35. Next week, 6 through 8 and 36 through 40, etc. I've emailed that, that schedule out. Um, so today we're looking at ruin and rebirth as a whole um, and uh, breaking down part one versus part two and, and why they are the way that they are. Um, I, I'm not trying to like jump in and just kind of teach this because I'm sure we're all doing that on our own, but um, just kind of putting these slides out there if they're helpful for anyone, um, but we'll, we'll start discussing after, after these really quick. So um, these are the chapter headings from Avraham on uh, uh, chapters one through five and 34 through 35. And um, talking about the fact that there's national ruin, but universal rebirth in the first part of this uh, part of the chiasm. And then it swaps. In chapters 34 and 35, the universal now gets ruined and the national gets reborn, um, as we can see kind of from, from this little uh, chart. And, and this is from the book called The Literary Message of Isaiah, uh, where he actually has these charts. This is figure four. Um, this is kind of a, a more complex chart of that, but here's where I, I want to kind of look at it. So we have the national ruin, which is exemplified in uh, all of the first part there, but mainly in, in chapters one um, and, and five, kind of a thing. And then universal rebirth happens in chapters three and, and five as well. Um, and then we can see where it reverses that universal ruin happens in chapter 34 versus national rebirth in, in chapter 35. So if those are helpful, I will continue to, to make those slides every week, kind of based on what we're, we're studying. Um, and I'll email those out. Um, but anyway, I think that kind of helps us understand kind of where we're, we're coming from on the ruin and rebirth uh, spectrum here. Um, so what did everyone uh, learn and, and gather this week out of Isaiah um, in these chapters, one through five and 34 through 35. What does it mean to, uh, to experience ruin? And what does it mean to experience rebirth and have that hope? Uh, why is this a crucial part of Isaiah in and of itself? Why do you think he starts off with this as the, the base of his chiasm? Does that make sense? <laughs> 
Well, as far as, as far as chapter one goes, it's kind of like an overview, you know, like Doctrine and Covenants section one, right? Um, or first Nephi one, the first chapter of Isaiah is kind of um, introducing things and the whys and what fors and things along those lines. I, I found um, a lot of the, the definitions that really help you understand Isaiah as you go through are, are brought up a lot here, you know, and, and that Avraham went through and he talks about, um, you know, when he, when he talks about the clean versus the unclean animals, where the animals represent people, right? And, and the clean are the house of Israel and the unclean are the Gentiles. And so then it makes you want to go back and look and see, okay, what are the clean animals and what are the unclean animals? And, you know, whatever animal is referenced, then you can say, oh, this is talking about these kind of people. And then, you know, some of the other things, um, let me go look at, oh, that was in a different chapter. But as far as, I, I kind of thought that, like, chapter one is just the introduction of, okay, here's why I have this information and here's what I, what I have to say and why mm -hmm. I have to say it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, just a year ago, if you would have presented me with Isaiah chapter one, I've been like, uh, I have no idea what that's talking about. It's a bunch of garbled good. But now with Isaiah decoded uh, behind us and, uh, I, I can start getting my footings, even though it's still hard for me to, to really dive into Isaiah, but with, with some symbolic language and uh, with kind of knowing the, the patterns that Isaiah is trying to, to put forth, I find that that's very helpful. And I can like, oh, this isn't as foreign to me as I've always thought it should be, you know. <laughs> um, so I wanted to, uh, again, out of the, the literary message of Isaiah, um, he lines out two paragraphs here that talk about part one versus part two of ruin and rebirth. And just uh, like to ask ourselves, where do we think we're at in this context of things? So he says that in the first unit, which is uh, chapters one through five, uh, there's an emphasis on national ruin versus universal rebirth, where the rulers of Jehovah's people pursue payoffs and personal rewards. Their elders enrich themselves by depriving the needy. Their leaders mislead them, abolishing their traditional ways. Jerusalem and Judea suffer a dearth of food and leadership, causing anarchy and collapse. The women of Jehovah's people are stripped of their finery. The land's gateways lie bereaved and forlorn, lacking traffic. Like a widow in mourning, Jehovah's people sit on the ground, destitute. Aliens have invaded the land and laid it waste. The mountains quake and people's corpses lie like litter about the streets. Lebanon and Bashan, mountains and hills, towers and ships, are all laid low. The land lies ruined, its cities burned with fire. Jehovah's vineyard has turned into desolation overgrown by briars and thorns. And then on the second unit, which is Isaiah 34 through 35, it reverses this pattern. And it's an emphasis on universal ruin offset by national rebirth, where Jehovah's rage is upon all nations 
The heavens roll up as a scroll, its starry hosts cast themselves down. The earth turns into a wasteland. Jehovah's ransomed ones, on the other hand, return to Zion, crowned with everlasting joy. Wilderness and desert blossom as the crocus. The thirsty place becomes springs of water, and Jehovah's ones again traverse the roads. And so I found that very interesting, um, just kind of taking those two parts and, and delineating out what happens in those as prophesied by Isaiah. And I always kind of thought like, oh, we're in the last part of the latter days, we must be experiencing the last part of it. But that unit two seems like we haven't entered into that part yet. We are very much in the, the first part, uh, experiencing this um, national ruin phase uh, before the, the rebirth happens and it's the universal ruin. Anyway, I found that very interesting. Uh, point out those those bullet points from this reading this week. I really liked the definitions that um, Avraham has. Like um, whenever he talks about forests, that he's really talking about cities, and cedars and oaks are people, and towers and walls are the human institutions. So you know, think governments or. Um, educational institutions, whatever institutions there are. <laughs> um, ships are commerce, right? Because in Isaiah's day, that's what it would. But, you know, so businesses would be ships and mountains and hills are large and small nations. So if you think about that, right? And, and Lebanon is always the people of the Lord. So when they talk about coming in and 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 cutting down the cedars of Lebanon, that's an invading army coming in and killing all of the people of the Lord. Yeah. Right? So yeah. when you understand some of those, it gives you a whole different picture of what Isaiah is talking about. And and really makes you stop and go huh yeah i can see some of that happening right now right and 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 you know the idols when you actually stop and think about how idolatrous our country is yeah really from the way people treat their cars and their houses and their money and their sports teams and their it can go on and on and on. Um, all the things that we spend money on that I have no worth, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It, it's, it's just very, it's very interesting to see um, because otherwise you're like, okay, so what's he talking about? Trees and forests and mountains and yeah, hills? If we're taking it literally, then it's like, uh, well, I don't see these things happening. So the second coming must not be coming very soon. Right. But, but when, you, you, when you know the symbolism, what he's meaning by it. Oh, <laughs> we're there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I, I, I like the, in the, in the bifed thing, 
in the first few chapters, it's individuals who are wicked and it's causing problems with the nation, right? Mm -hmm. And then at the tail end, it's the nation that is wicked and being brought low, but the individuals who are righteous are then sustained by the Lord, right? With the the pillar and the um the protection, you know, the canopy, like the um like the the hoopah when they get married, right? Mm -hmm. It's over their yeah. head um to represent God protecting them. And and I think about that, about how if the Lord can protect the righteous so that they can't be found, they can't be seen, then that may be how he, you know, part of the way he protects those who are um, working towards Zion in the midst of all of these calamities that are coming and that they won't be able to find the righteous. But in order for that to happen, yeah. the righteous have all got to get together somewhere. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not not just those who who um, profess to be righteous, but those who actually are. I just hope I'm in the second category. Mm, yeah, exactly. Like I'm really trying to be there, but I might be in like the professing category. <laughs> but yeah it, it's interesting i would love to see um actual data on this last year and the great migration that's happened i mean we see people just moving all over the place um and and a lot of times we uh, they might not even know exactly why they just know that they're supposed to and um it, it, anyway it's, it's very interesting how, how all that plays out um we, we see people preparing for some of these um, these cities of refuge uh, that will, will outlast the storm. Well, that, I know we moved across the country. We didn't know why. Yeah. The Lord just told when us you to go. Move? Huh? When did you move? Five years ago. Five years? Yeah. We moved mm -hmm. to Utah five years ago from Ohio. <laughs> where all of our children had been raised and we'd had our house for 27 years and we thought we were there for the duration. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep, it happens. I, I always get brought back to Malta for some reason. I have no idea why, but <laughs> well, I mean, now I do, obviously. But yeah, the, it's just very interesting how the Lord orchestrates everything uh, so <laughs> perfectly. And if we'll will obey and heed the promptings that, that we will be protected and rise up to our our potential and our, our missions that, that we're supposed to perform here in this life. And he leads us along step by step because if somebody had said five years ago, this is where you're gonna be and this is what you're gonna do, I would have went, um, what, what? <laughs> um, I, I, don't, I don't see that. But step by step, little by little, and and like you said, as you listen and as you obey those promptings, it um, you grow and he builds your faith step by step, and it's it's great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Um, so let's dive in. In uh, group C, we did chapters one through three, and group A, we did 34 and 35. So in this group, let's actually go to chapters four and five and read those. Um, let me pull up here on the screen. Um, so I'm going to be using the Isaiah Explained website for a few weeks to, to get people comfortable and familiar with it. If this is a tool that you would like to use, um, just kind of showing you how it works. So um, it's divided into four parts up here at the top. Um, so there's the Isaiah Institute translation. Then if you click on the comparative translation, we have the King James with the Isaiah Institute and the Masoretic text next to it. If you click on the apocalyptic commentary, this brings up the, um, the verse and then some commentary by Abraham and then some more verses and commentary, etc. It's a very great resource. And if you would like to listen to it instead, um, this commentary audio is also here Chapter on, 30. on the side there. And the commentary then, audio has more details. Yeah, the commentary exactly. audio, it has more than what he has written there. Mm -hmm. It's very great. I highly recommend listening to, to the, the commentary here. It's available in lots of places, but, but um, most of them are free versions that you can access, and, and this is one of them there. Um, but yeah, if you, you read it here, you'll notice that there's a lot more in the, the audio version. And then the, the fourth and final part is the interactive concordance, which is a place that he has all of the words linked here to a concordance, an index, um, where every time that, that Hebrew word is used, um, it has this index. So say we um, want to look at the word tongue here. When you click on it, it brings up this concordance and everywhere that tongue is listed here by chapter and verse, and you can uh, compare uh, throughout the entire book of Isaiah what tongue means for him and what context it, it might mean in this verse kind of thing. Um, so I find that interactive concordance a very helpful tool, uh, especially when uh, there's, there's a word that you might not understand why it's placed where it is. Um, that's very helpful. So today we're going to be looking at the comparative translation. I'm going to pull this up on the screen and we'll read chapters four and five together. Um, so let me just read chapter four and then I'll have volunteers for chapter five. All right, so Isaiah chapter four says that seven women will take hold of one man in that day and say, we will eat our own food and wear our own clothes. Let it only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. In that day, the plants of Jehovah shall be beautiful and glorious, and the earth's fruit, the pride and glory of the survivors of Israel. Then shall they who are left in Zion and they who remain in Jerusalem be called holy, all who were inscribed to be among the living at Jerusalem. This shall be when my Lord has washed away the excrement of the women of Zion and cleaned, cleansed Jerusalem of its bloodshed, in the spirit of justice by a burning wind. Over the whole site of Mount Zion and over its solemn assembly, Jehovah will form a cloud by day and a mist glowing with fire by night. Above all that is glorious shall be a canopy. 
It shall be a shelter and a shade from the heat of the day, a secret refuge from the downpour and from rain. So it's interesting here that, that we see that, that same thing that you were talking about, like that, that heavenly chuppah or the, the, this canopy. Uh, we see that in lots of different contexts, right? We see it with uh, the exodus of Egypt. They had the, the pillar and the cloud uh, leading them. Uh, from our Abraham uh, book club, where uh, Sarah's tent always was, was shadowed uh, with that, that cloud uh, of holiness, that, that canopy or chuppah, whatever you want to call it there. Um, but, but it's usually in reference to a Zion people. Um, that it provides shelter and a secret refuge. I find that very hopeful as we're moving forward into the, the next stage of, of the earth that, that we're, we're promised to have that shelter and protection here. So what does it mean that these seven women will take hold of one man? I mean, this verse has been interpreted many different ways by many different religions, even amongst our own. What, what is Isaiah talking about here? Why, why bring this up? Well, I think that the seven number is a symbolic number. I mean, if you go back to the meaning of the word seven, right? That's a godly number, right? So godly women will take hold of a man in that day and say, you know, we have everything that we need. We can, we're, we're righteous, we're prepared. We have, we have our own food and our own clothes and we can do these things, but we, we don't have that final covenant that we have been able to make, right? That we don't have a righteous man. And so how that's going to look, how that's going to play out. I don't know. We'll deal with it when it comes. I'm, I'm not going to get <laughs> overly uh, bent out of shape over that one. Let, let's put it that mm -hmm. way. Um, but I, I find it um, interesting. If we look at the church, women, there are more, it seems like there are more righteous spiritual women uh than there are men but we also have prophecies that there are going to be all sorts of men who are going to be gone you know whether they be killed during an invasion or in a war or through some kind of disease um we have all sorts of people who have had dreams and visions of women and children fleeing not mm -hmm. you know where are the men there aren't that many and so it makes so much sense on multiple levels, right? Um, if if a lot of the men are gone, you know, these are the survivors, right, of some cataclysmic event uh, that there may only be several, uh, a handful or you know, few comparatively righteous men who are left, but there may be more righteous women you know, symbolized by the number seven and the fact that they are prepared and they do have what they need. My opinion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Oliver Holmes too, uh, if you listen to the commentary, he, he talks a lot about um, that and uh, how that might play out. Um, but yeah, I, I always remember um, that kind of getting thrown into 
Sunday schools or or whatever and it, with kind of this weird ominous tone to it and and if we understand Isaiah if we're looking at the symbolism and and what this ruin and rebirth pattern is that there's there's hope for the righteous you know if we're one of the 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 five uh, virgins that that are have our oil that we need that we will be taken care of we will have the protection uh, we will have the access to the priesthood um, all of these things will will be taken care of we just have to be righteous we have to be seeking and, and knowing the lord face to face to be able to, to last through the, these latter days um so let's go to chapter five let's see how many verses we got here 30 verses um if we could have volunteers read those mom you want to start off with the first 10 you're muted by the way let me sing for my beloved a love song about his vineyard my beloved had a vineyard on the fertile brow of a hill he cultivated it cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines he built a watchtower in its midst and used for it a wine press as well then he expected it to yield grapes but it produced wild grapes now o inhabitants of jerusalem and you men of Judea, please judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have I what more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it produce wild grapes? Let me now inform you what I will do to my vineyard. I will have its hedge removed and let it be burned. I will have its wall broken through and let it be trampled. I will make it a desolation. It shall neither be pruned nor hoed, but briars and thorns shall overgrow it. Moreover, I will forbid the rain clouds to rain on it. The vineyard of Jehovah of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah his cherished grove. He expected justice, but there was injustice. He expected righteousness, but there was an outcry. Woe to those who join house to house and link field to field till no place is left, and you are restricted to dwell in the centers of the land. Jehovah of hosts spoke this in my hearing. Surely many buildings shall lie desolate, large and fine houses unoccupied. A 10-acre vineyard shall yield but one bath, a homer of seed, but an, how do you say that, epah? Epah. Epah. Mm -hmm. Woe to those... who join house to house and link field to Sorry. field. Oh, I did that already. Where am yeah. I? <laughs> well, you finished with verse 10. We're just reading 10 verses each. 
so you're good. Oh, <laughs> gosh, sorry. <laughs> but anyway, let's let's talk about that before we actually move on. So interesting here. There's there's a lot of things. I think to, it's he talks about the hedges. So he's yeah. going to abandon the hedges. Now, the hedges might be the thing that keeps out external enemies. So if he abandons the hedges, that means he's no longer going to protect the land from external enemies. And then they talk about how the thorns and the briars choke out the, choke, choke out the, the, the vines. Well, that's evil from inside out that already grows and destroys from the inside out. And then it says, he will let no rain come upon it. That means he will cease to give blessings from heaven, from above. That means they'll be left with their own moisture. They'll be left with finding sustenance in their own ways. And this, to me, says a lot about the things that we're watching today because he has uh, planted it planted the United States and he has uh, planted good vines and then now it is uh, producing nothing but wild grapes. So now I think is the point where the hedges are coming down, the vines and the thorns are growing up and that the, the heavens are closed and that the raining for the group for the whole United States is, is drying up. Although the Lord is providing uh heavenly nourishment for those who are prepared and who are righteous and who are following the Lord's command. Yeah. And we see it happening more and more every day, how these things are, are fulfilling in, in exactness, right? I mean, yeah, we've had, you know, problems with rain in the past and we've had special fasts for moisture, etc. But I mean, this is increasingly different. This is uh, a more, uh, fullness of these prophecies coming forth just this last year and and what we're expected to go through this year like yeah exactly um let's see what was i going to do oh what i was going to say was um i i love this chapter but i've never yet put it as a companion study to like Zenus's allegory and how much it matches up. There's, there's a lot to be gained from, from comparing the two. I think just going through this, um, this time I, I've read this chapter five, like 20 times this last week, but I never thought to go and compare it to, uh, to Jacob five. And now I'm like, Oh, that's what I need to do this week. That's, uh, a good, uh, study to, to, compare those all out i think that anytime that we're talking about this vineyard there's there's a lot to pulling from the different prophets and making a composite image of what this this parable is all about um i like here where it starts off let me sing for my beloved a love song about his vineyard and then it goes into like the the desolations of it i mean this is this is quite the love song right i mean we're <laughs> verse one is is kind of dismal but but it gets better it picks up um but interesting all of the different metaphors here um the the watchtower in its midst um the the wine press the cultivating um these are all things we see in new testament parables that that can be applied as well 
Um, Isaiah really is uh, just a, an amazing thing to, to study in, in relation to, to other things, uh, to other prophets and, and other uh, writings. Um, so could I have a volunteer for 11 through 20 to read that? Um, I'll go ahead and read it. Woe to those who go after liquor as soon as they arise in the morning, who linger at night parties inflamed by wine. There are harps and lyres, drums, flutes, and wine at their banquets, but they regard not what Jehovah does, nor perceive his hands at work. Therefore are my people exiled without knowing why. Their best men die in famine, their masses perish with thirst. Sheol becomes ravenous, opening its mouth insatiably. Into it descends their elite with the masses, their boisterous ones, and revelers. Mankind is brought low when men debase themselves, causing the eyes of the high-minded to be downcast. But Jehovah of hosts will be exalted by a just judgment. The holy God show himself holy by his righteousness. Then shall his sheep feed in their pasture and proselytes eat in the ruins of the affluent. Woe to those drawn to sin by vain attachments, hitched to transgression like a trailer, who think, let him quickly speed up his works so that we may see it. Let the plan of the Holy One of Israel soon come to pass, and we will know. Woe to those who suppose what is evil to be good and what is good evil. They put darkness for light and light for darkness. They make bitterness sweet and the sweet bitter. So do we see any or all of those things coming to pass? I mean, <laughs> that just describes our days so much. Um, Cameron, I really, verse 18, right? <laughs> go, to, go to verse 18. Um, Woe to those drawn to sin by vain attachments, hitched to transgression like a trailer. I mean, <laughs> it's like, the transgression is the truck and you're just hitching yourself onto that and following wherever that truck is driving. Don't we see so much of that in the world today? Yeah, with, exactly. I mean, like we call it kind of, of bandwagon now, right? Yes, yes. People wanting to be on that bandwagon. People wanting to say, hey, I'm in this group too. And as the world separates into tribes, or ites, mm -hmm. depending on, you know, which, uh, which scriptures you want to use as your parallel, right? As, as the world is separating out into all these groups, there are a number of groups that are all out there saying, this is who I am. Look at me. I belong to this. I want to be part of this group, and I want everybody to know that I'm part of this group. And mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if it's a, a group that is headed in the wrong direction or that is transgression, you're hitching yourself to it and going to follow it wherever it goes, just like a trailer. I, 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 I just kind of chuckle every time I, you know, hear, I think of somebody hitching up their little camper and going camping, yeah. but that's exactly what it is. And, you know, it's woe to them. That means things aren't going to turn out well for you if this is, your mindset and this is where you are um mm -hmm. and it the warning has been given but how many members of the church 
are falling all over themselves to pitch themselves to a group. There's lots of them, lots of different groups, but how many, you know, well, I'm going to support this group or I'm going to support that group or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that at the expense of um, losing their connection to the Lord. Yeah. Exactly. You know? Like I think when President Nelson uh, issues those challenges to uh, to go and fast from social media for a while kind of thing, I think that that's kind of the direct thing that we're talking about there like quit hitching yourselves to the wrong trailers focus on the spirit for for a time and then when you go back to those trailers you'll see them for what they really are versus what you're just kind of mindlessly doing right now uh, i find at least in my uh when i gave up social media for for quite a while there it was like i went back and i'm like man why did i ever just go along with half of the stuff that that's there you know, not saying that I'm, I'm completely off social media, but you know, it's it it's kind of the bandwagon <laughs> where you can find a, a seat at any table you want and and ride it wherever it goes. There there is a group on the, on Facebook, right, for just about every attitude, and yeah. you know, in many of them, you get in a group thinking, okay these people have the same kind of thoughts and attitudes that I have. And then you see it starting to go off the rails and you're going, wait a minute, where did that come from? And, um, you know, this is where we have to make sure we're not hitched to the wrong vehicle. Yeah. Going in the wrong direction. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I loved the verse 12 here where it says, but they regard not what Jehovah does, nor perceive his hands. At I, it's amazing to me how many people don't realize the blessings that they might be receiving in their life. They, they can't attribute them to, to God properly. They, they just have some other excuse for them. Or on the, the flip side, they don't realize that they're experiencing covenantal curses. And, you know, they just attribute it. Oh, it's just bad luck. Or that's just my lot in life kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That's like, no, if, you, <laughs> if you'll just have faith in Jehovah, he'll tell you exactly where everything's coming from. And you, and you won't have to be surprised. You can actually uh, be on top of things. Um, but perceive not his hands at work, I think is huge. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Well, in the other, in verse 20, the... Um... Woe to those who suppose what is evil to be good and what is good evil. They put darkness for light and light for darkness. They make bitterness sweet and the sweet bitter. That is society today. Mm -hmm. the, the mainstream society has totally flipped. Uh, talk to just about anybody and they're like, yeah, it's like the world is upside down. Where are they getting this? How how in the world are people coming up with this as a as a logical response to anything? And and this is exactly what it is. It's verse twenty. Yeah, exactly. How does that happen? When I mean, people—that's what people ask a lot of times. Like, where? How do we even get here? 
Well, if you're not paying attention to the Lord and, and hitching to the right trailer, it can happen very quickly. Satan's a master deceiver and you can just make it uh, almost well, overnight. <laughs> And we have seen it happen super quickly. And why? It's because people are hitching themselves to the um, the the trailer of popular opinion, right? And popular mm -hmm. opinion can turn on a dime depending on who the social media influencer is that says something in a certain tone of voice. And then all of yes. a sudden, oh, well, we don't want this person who has 20,000 or 10 million followers or whatever. We don't want to be on their wrong side. So we're going to capitulate. And then the next thing you know, you've changed your whole um, culture. And we see this in businesses. I mean, businesses that you never would have expected would have rolled over and are, are doing just that. Yeah. And, and everything, because they don't want to be seen on the wrong side of popular opinion and mm -hmm. and the media plays a big part of it and i think that that just in the last year year and a half we have really seen this hardcore mm -hmm. yeah for sure um let's see 20 was what we did last. So um, Nancy, yeah. would you read 21 through 30? Yeah, I can. What are those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own view? Woe to those who are valiant at drinking wine and champions at mixing liquor. Woe to those who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deny justice to the innocent. As a blazing fire consumes stubble and as dry weeds wane before the flame, so shall their roots decay away and their blossoms fly up like dust. For they have despised the law of Jehovah of hosts and reviled the words of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, the anger of Jehovah is kindled against his people. He draws back his hand against them and strikes them. The mountains quake and their corpses lie like litter about the streets. Yet for all his anger is not abated, his hand is upraised still. He raises an ensign to distant nations and summons them from beyond the horizon. Forthwith they come swiftly and speedily. Not one of them grows weary, nor does any stumble. They do not drowse or fall asleep. Their waist belts come not loose, nor their sandal thongs undone. Their arrows are sharp, all their bows are strung. The tread of their war horses resembles flint. Their chariot wheels revolve like a whirlwind. They have the roar of a lion. They are aroused like young lions, growling. They seize the prey and escape, and none comes to the rescue. He shall be stirred up against them in that day, even as the sea is stirred up. And should one look to the land, there too shall be a distressing gloom, for the daylight shall be darkened by an overhanging mist. Yeah, like the chapter started out, this is quite the love song. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, you know, the chapter started out with him saying, I've done all of these things. I, I built this, I built this, I did all these things, and I just expected grapes. I wanted grapes. <laughs> and I get wild, bitter grapes. <laughs> I think nope. I would be as, 
a little upset too if I did all that work and all I got was bitter fruit. <laughs> yep, exactly. And so you can see um, if we are studying the, the Abrahamic covenant, if we're studying the Sinai covenant and Davidic covenant all together, we see that um, these first uh, part one of the, the ruin and rebirth uh, part of the chiasm is all about covenant curses being delineated out. Covenant curses that um, might not have been expressly mentioned like they do here, but I mean, these are uh, literal and symbolic. There's just a mix of, of all these things that will befall um, his chosen people. And uh, then on the flip side, uh, the entire earth when um, it, it switches to a, a universal ruin. Anyway, there, <laughs> uh, yeah, like I said, uh, a year ago, I would have just passed by all of this going, yeah, it's a lot of nouns and verbs all thrown together in a crazy way, but um, really looking at the structure, looking at what Isaiah is trying to point out here, um, it, it's really enhanced my study, my outlook, my uh, expectations as we are, are trying to, to minister to those around us and, and raise people up for this great and last day. Um, it, it really is a message full of hope. If we'll, we'll take the time to understand the law, divine law, there's so many blessings. There's so much hope if we can just overcome our natural man and, and help others to do the same. Uh, here in uh, the, this first part of Isaiah 1 through 5 and, and then 34 through 35, um, it, this, this message of uh, ruin and, uh, and rebirth is, is foundational as we move forward. It, it's not going to go away. Um, as it says here in this book, um, says that part one of the Bifid structure is unique in that the concepts it establishes nowhere recur in the form of parallel and antithetical motifs or as a thrust of the entire material. But on the other hand, all concepts the Bifid structure develops are cumulative in nature. Once they are established, they are maintained throughout the remainder of the book. And so we'll see that this ruin and rebirth is just the foundation, but we have to have that foundation before we can start building on these other uh, principles on top of it, building this structure. And um, this, this message of, of judgment and hope, ruin and rebirth um, is, is key to understanding Isaiah. Um, as I've read through Isaiah and uh, trying to, to piece together things, sometimes I get lost and I have to go and, and reorient myself, re, uh, re-fortify my foundations, which is this first part of Isaiah 1 through 5, um, and, and kind of get my bearings again. Uh, once I have that down, then I can start building and, and re, uh, rethinking what the other parts are, are trying to say because they build upon this. Uh, I find myself always coming back to it. And that's what that one video I shared does really well. Uh, explaining what those uh, foundation stones are to uh, Isaiah. Anyway, what last thoughts? What what do we get from from all of this? How do we proceed forward in, in studying Isaiah with this knowledge um, of the the ruin and rebirth principles? 
or yeah. anything else you want to talk about. <laughs> Cameron, when I uh, read chapter five of Isaiah, it's like reading the newspaper uh, mm-hmm. uh, or, or listening to news reports on your favorite news station. Um, all of these things, we're, we're seeing these all happen. Now, obviously, for those people who are awake and who are following the Lord, we see that. But there will be many who you could tell them that this is what's happening and this is what was predicted. And they'll say, ah, you're just full of beans just because you just want it to happen. But I tell you, the I guess the best part about the whole thing is you're reading five to see what's in the newspaper. But if you read other things where the where Isaiah talks about the covenant blessing and he talks about what the Lord does for those who who love him and and that he is their God, then that's where you go. And that's where you really find the hope, because if the things that are happening in Isaiah that are negative and they're all over us, then we can be guaranteed that the things that are positive will be ours if we just endure correctly to the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. We read uh, 35 in Group A, and 35 really enumerates some of those great covenantal blessings that can come. They're, they're awesome. It, <laughs> we just have to push past all this negative stuff, like I said. Uh, right. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, anything else before we close out for the night? I love studying Isaiah. I'm so glad everyone wanted to continue reading on. I Isaiah wasn't my first choice, and boy, was I wrong. This is amazing stuff. <laughs> Once you start understanding Isaiah, and especially with context of all those other prophets and everything, it, it just really opens your eyes to, to all well, scriptures. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say you were wrong. Maybe you weren't prepared for <laughs> Isaiah just then, so you had to have something else ahead of time. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yep, I, I've loved studying Abraham and then Isaiah. I think that that's kind of a, a good progression, uh, studying what the, the covenantal blessings are um, from the Abrahamic covenant and then diving into, into some of this deeper stuff that Isaiah is talking about. It's been such a, a fun ride doing it. Well, would you want to live an Abrahamic life? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So if you, if you want to live the Abrahamic life, Abraham was well-informed by the Lord. So in a part, you are beginning to begin uh, your path on the Abrahamic life. So you you get this part, you're becoming well-informed, you're able to see the signs and know what the Lord has in store for us by us being righteous. And not only can you do that for yourself, but you can start teaching others and having other people follow you in the Abrahamic life. And uh, that will, you will be blessings that will uh, flow over the wall. So it's, uh, Mm -hmm. it's great. You know, the Lord gives us these things to get us all prepared. And uh, so just go with it and see, and see how well (laughs) the Lord is taking good care of you and all the things he's teaching. Yeah. Um, when you're ready to come to the Lord, he's ready to come to you. And it's not just like tiptoeing. It is massive fire hose knowledge. As soon as you're ready for it, he just gives you it all to you. <laughs> it's always hey, fun. 
you get this massive quantity of information. You're going, wait a minute. I, I, I sort of understand that. I'm going to have yeah. to sit and think about that for a while. I'm going to have to digest each of these little pieces, parts uh, a little bit. And, and then when you've, once you've done that, you're kind of like, wow, that's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. But it's still, you know, try to explain it to somebody else. And you're like, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. That, that's another spiritual gift is trying to explain it once you've got it. <laughs> well, and maybe it's not for you to explain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the principle of, of the oil in the lamp that, you know, sometimes those things are just meant for you and, and it can't be shared. And, and that leans to the principle of why aren't the, the apostles and prophets telling us more and, and stuff? Well, it's, it's things that the Lord wants to teach you himself. These are, um, the, he does his own teaching for every kind of learning style, etc. And that's why it's so important to hear him. <laughs> that's why we're doing I, I, I just read a, a quote that Jeffrey R. Holland said in a leadership meeting a few years ago. And it was, we are general authorities who teach general concepts to the general membership of the church, right? So mm -hmm. they talk the basic general things to the basic general masses of the church, but that doesn't mean everybody has to stay there and they don't even want everybody to stay there, but that's who they are. And I think we have a tradition that we have to get everything from them and we have to you know, well, if they haven't said it, it must not be true or it must not be important if they haven't told us. And, mm -hmm. and so I think that that's, um, that's always good to remember. They are general authorities that teach general concepts to the general masses of the church. <laughs> exactly. And that's why we have that, that great tripod of learning, right? We have to get it from the scriptures. We have to get it from the spirit and from the consensus of all the prophets. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. like, um, yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot to the gospel. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, well, it's been fun. Next week, we'll, we'll dive into the rebellion and compliance section of Isaiah Decoded, and it'll be fun. But yeah, I will send out the email with uh, the link to, to those YouTube videos and, and stuff. And, um, you think of anything else you want me to email out I'll, <laughs> that I've forgotten. Uh, let me do that. But anyway, we will see you all next week. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. <laughs>